0: Church in the Peak podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit churchandpeak.org. Right. Anyway, let's look at the Bible together. Um, so we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. And um, one of the things that Mark does often in his gospel. I don't know if you've ever noticed, is he'll tell two stories next to each other, and we're supposed to compare them, and one's good and one's bad. Okay? It's a little bit like the kind of adverts that you see on TV, like Silit Bang. Um, so it's like this cleaning product was terrible, but Silit Bang makes everything shiny. And you're supposed to go, oh, that's bad, and that's good, and I want Silit Bang. Um, so it's that kind of thing, and Mark does that a lot. And the story that we're going to look at today is is one of those. So he's got two stories that are next to each other that are kind of entwined. Two healings. And we're actually supposed to compare the two stories. And that will become clear as we go on. So we're in Mark chapter 5 and verse 21. And the scene, the place where this is happening is in a little town called Capernaum in Galilee. And that's where Jesus began his ministry actually. He started in Capernaum and he was doing lots of miracles there. And just a few days ago... He healed a crippled guy in the synagogue on the Sabbath in chapter 3. And all the synagogue rulers, it said, were really angry at him for doing this miracle on the Sabbath. And it said they began to plot about how to destroy him. Okay, so the synagogue rulers, they hate Jesus. And already, right at the beginning, they've started to plan about killing Jesus. So that was in chapter 3. He takes his disciples in the boat. They cross the lake. They go to the other side, and they do a miracle and a deliverance to this Gerasene guy. And then they come back across the lake. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. So he's coming back into Capernaum, okay? Is that all right? So Mark chapter 5 and verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, so back to Capernaum, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Good. It's on the screen. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So there's a crowd around Jesus. They're all kind of thronging him around him. But as Jairus comes, the crowd opens for him because he's Jairus. Yeah, everybody knows him. He's the synagogue ruler. He's one of the most powerful, most religious people in the town. And he comes. And and the crowd opens, and Jairus falls at Jesus' feet and implores him. He's a very dramatic guy in front of everybody. So everybody could see, wow, Jairus is inviting Jesus, this important guy. And people are thinking, this is a good opportunity for Jesus. Because the synagogue rulers, they haven't liked him. So if he can heal Jairus's kid, then maybe he'll get them on side. They'll have friends in high places, yeah? He'll have an influential friend in the synagogue. This is a good chance for Jesus to influence. So that's what everybody's thinking. And so verse 24, he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and flunged around. Everybody wants to see what's going to happen. This is a Middle Eastern crowd, okay? I don't know how great the crowds get in Matlock. Maybe Christmas shopping, It can get quite intense. Um, But this is a, you know, if you've ever kind of seen a picture of a market in the Middle East where you're just walking like this. Or in Japan when they're trying to get people on the commuter trains. And they have these guys who are paid to push people onto trains because the crowds are so, it's it's a big crowd. And everyone's pressing and you're walking like this. Verse 25. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. So now we're going to meet the other character. We don't know her name. Jairus, we know his name. He's an important guy. We'll just call her the woman. And who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, but was no better, but rather grew worse. She'd heard the reports about Jesus and she came up behind him in the crowd, in the big crowd. She pushes her way through. She came up behind him, and she touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Now, normally in the Middle East, you wouldn't have a woman approach someone like Jesus for healing. You'd you'd have a man go on her behalf. Okay, so Jairus has gone on behalf of his daughter. Earlier in Mark, Simon Peter came to Jesus and said, my mother-in-law is ill. Please, will you come and heal? There should be someone who takes responsibility for her. But this woman has no one, not a, not a brother, not a husband, not a father, not a male cousin. There's no one to take responsibility for her. She's completely alone. So she has to come herself. That's not right. It's not right. And her 12-year bleeding has rendered her ritually unclean. For the Jews, you know, ritual purity was a really important thing. This means she can't go to synagogue, she can't go to temple, she can't pray, she can't offer sacrifice. So it actually means she's far from, she's got no way of approaching God. She's kind of rendered ritually unclean. And she will defile anyone she comes in contact with. So anyone that she eats with, anyone that she spends time with, they'll become unclean as well. So everyone's backed off her. She's got no friends left everyone's kind of gone, oh, I'm not hanging out with her. There's a stigma on her. She's full of shame. She's outcast. You know, people gossip about her. Oh, here comes that woman. Quickly, let's go away. You know, at the school gate, all the other mums kind of stay away. And she's been taken advantage of by doctors. She's spent all she has on quacks. You know, it's not the NHS. It's Kind of people that say, yeah, give me money and you can drink this potion and jump up and down seven times and a healing will happen. You know, it's that kind of guys. And they've abused her and she's lost all her money. So now she's poor. She's broke. She's got nothing. And she's without hope. She's tried everything for 12 years. She's pushed and pushed and pushed. And yet, amazingly, she hasn't given up. She hears about Jesus and she goes, I'm going to go again. I'm going to." That's incredible. 12 years. So she comes up behind him in the crowd and she touches him. Now, maybe that's you, maybe not 12 years, maybe not bleeding, but maybe you've had something going on in your life for a long time and you feel actually everyone's backed off you. Maybe you've had long-term depression. Maybe you've had long-term mental illness. In my family, we have a lot of mental illness. And sometimes there can be a stigma and people can back off and think, oh, I'm not going to hang out with this person you know maybe you have had ongoing pain and sickness for a long time maybe you have tried everything maybe you are alone like she was maybe you feel shame like she was you come in and you think everybody's judging me everybody's gossiping about me maybe they're not but that's how you feel and th- this is the situation that this woman was in and she comes up behind jesus in the crowd and touches his garments and verse 29 hallelujah And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed from her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said, Jesus, you see the crowd pressing about you. Everybody's touching you. And yet you say, Who touched me? But he looked around to see who'd done it. Because Jesus knows this touch was different. In this touch, there was hopelessness, there was despondency, there was pain, there was suffering, there was loss. And Jesus feels that kind of touch. And his fullness flows towards that kind of emptiness. And that's what he feels. So he's like, no, someone touched me who's broken. And I need to know who that person was. And you see that, uh, just note the word immediately twice. Immediately she was healed. Immediately Jesus perceived that something had happened. It just boom, yeah? Now, as this is happening, what is Jairus thinking? What's he thinking? Yeah, hurry up. My daughter's dying. What are you faffing about over here for? Come on, Jesus, we're in a hurry. (coughs) You're supposed to have words of knowledge. Can't you tell my daughter's dying? Hurry up. Don't spend all your time in this crowd. I'm an important guy. But you can't hurry Jesus. Yeah, if he wants to stop, he will stop. If he wants to leave you waiting, he will leave you waiting. Verse 33. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, Jesus says, who touched me? The woman knows what's happened. Came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. So she's trembling because the whole community is going to go, oh, not that woman. How dare she approach Jesus? And she's trembling because she's approaching Jesus and she's just felt healed. She's humble. Jesus stops and talks to her. He says, your faith has made you well. He praises her. He honors her in front of everybody else. Everybody's going to go, wow, Jesus treated that woman with respect. It's it's a massive transformation for her. And he calls her daughter. So she had no one to take responsibility for her. Jesus says, I will take responsibility for you. Daughter. She's gone from being alone to having Jesus calling her family. That's amazing. So her situation has been completely transformed. Yeah, She was sick. She gets healed. She was full of shame. Now she's honored by Jesus in front of everyone. She was alone. Now Jesus calls her daughter. And she was unclean. And now she's clean. What about Jairus? What's he thinking? He's thinking, this woman touched Jesus. She's unclean. Now he's unclean. She's defiled Jesus. He can't come into my house now. He can't come and pray for my daughter now. He's defiled. I don't want him anymore. He's also thinking, Jesus, this woman's been sick for 12 years. She could wait another half hour. My daughter's dying. Surely you should have some kind of triage system like they do in A&E. You know, this is an important situation. Come now. She can wait till later. I'm powerful and important. You need friends in high places. I know what they've been saying about you. You should come to my house and sort me out. That's what he's thinking. This woman is a problem. She's an obstacle. She's getting in my way. That's what he's thinking. Verse thirty-five. While Jesus was still speaking, there came from Jairus's house some who said, "Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any more?" And it's her fault, thinks Jairus. If it wasn't for that woman, slowing Jesus down, getting in his way. It's her fault. He turns all his anger on to her. You can imagine, can't you? Have you ever done that? This would have happened. But because of her, it didn't. It's his fault. It's her fault. Blame other people. And Jesus, verse 36, overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Jesus puts his finger on Jairus's actual issue. You know, underneath all prejudice, underneath a lot of hatred is actually fear. Actually, Jairus, you're afraid. Don't fear. Believe. I'm here. Jesus is here. Verse 37. I'm coming to your house anyway. Yeah? And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James, so his three closest friends. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion. People weeping and wailing loudly. She's dead. She's dead. They're all crying. And when he entered, he rebukes them. He says to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. So Jesus rebukes them. You know, this woman was sick for 12 years and she never gave up. Your daughter's been dead for five minutes and you've kind of thrown all your toys out of the pram and you're all crying. How dare you? Jesus is rebuking them, yeah? Seems a little harsh, doesn't it? But then they laugh at him. God came to your house and you treat him shamefully, laugh at him, mock him. Ha, huh, Jesus, what do you know? You know, Jesus says she's sleeping. He knows she's dead. But for Jesus, death is as temporary as sleep. And raising someone from the dead is like waking someone from sleep for Jesus. And so he puts everyone outside. He takes the parents. And he goes into the child's bedroom. If I was him, and I'm not, I would have gone, you're laughing at me? You're disbelieving, you're cynical, fine, I'm off, yeah? You don't want me. Why should I be here? Why should I pray for your daughter? Jesus isn't like that. They mock him, they laugh at him, they treat him shamefully. He still says, okay, let me come into her room. It's amazing. Verse 41, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, wake up. And immediately the girl got up and began walking because she was 12 years old. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. And then he went away from there and he came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. So Mark records that he spoke to her in Aramaic, Talitha Kumi. And the words are, it's time to wake up. Like I say to my kids every morning for school, and they say, go away, Dad. It's time to wake up. But he speaks to her in her heart language, and Mark records that, because it's really important in Christianity. You know, God speaks to you where you are in your language. We go to Turkey. We learn Turkish. We preach the gospel in Turkish, because God speaks to Turks in Turkish. He speaks to Iranians in Farsi. He, He speaks to English people in English. It's one of the beautiful things about Christianity, isn't it? You don't have to learn Latin. Hallelujah. And then we see this word immediately again. Immediately she got up and immediately they were overcome with amazement. And even though they acted shamefully and callously and this household laughed at Jesus, Jesus still came to the house and healed their little girl. What grace. How old was she? How long had the woman been bleeding for? It's significant. We're supposed to compare these stories. The whole time this uh, girl had been living her rich life life with her dad being this important guy, this woman had been outside suffering and no one had taken responsibility for her. This guy's fighting for his daughter. Come and heal my daughter. But nobody calls this woman daughter except Jesus. Jesus does the healing in secret and tells them not. He raised someone from the dead and he says, don't tell anyone. Why? Well, because Jairus came to Jesus in public in front of everyone because he's an important guy and said, come to my house and heal my daughter. So Jesus does the healing in secret. The woman came to Jesus in secret and touched his robe. So Jesus does her healing in public. Yeah, the proud will be humbled and the humble will be lifted up. That's the kingdom of God. They both get healing. That's the amazing thing about this story. They both get healed. (coughs) But Jesus is teaching his disciples something through Jairus' pride and this other woman's humility. And then we see he went away from there. So let's compare the two stories just as a summary. And then just look at what do we learn from from this story, okay? So Jairus' daughter was how old? The woman had been bleeding for how long? Jairus, we know his name. We know his rank. He's important. The woman, we don't know her name. Jairus comes on behalf of his daughter. The woman has no one to come on her behalf. So Jesus calls her daughter. Jairus is proud, approaches Jesus in front of everyone. So Jesus humbles him. The woman is humble, approaches Jesus in secret. So Jesus honors her in front of everyone, praises her in front of everyone. Jairus asks Jesus to come to my house. Jesus, come to my house. Yeah? The woman goes and finds Jesus where he is. Jesus makes Jairus wait, gives the woman priority, heals her first. Jairus's household give up hope and are rebuked. The woman never gives up hope and is praised. Okay, it's just a comparison between these two healings. So, what, what should we learn from this story? It's a great story, would you agree? Yeah. You know, Mark is an artist. It's a technique he uses called intercalation, which is taking two stories but kind of mixing them together like that. And the number 12 makes us think, okay, we're supposed to compare these two. Okay, but what do we learn from this story? Number one, if you are suffering, Come and touch Jesus. Don't give up believing. You know, both situations could have given up. The woman has been 12 years. She's tried everything, she's spent all she had. With Jairus' family, she's dead. You're supposed to give up, yeah? Never give up. It's never too late. If you're suffering, come and touch Jesus. If you're alone with no one else taking responsibility for you, if you're full of shame, if you're sick, if you're suffering, if you're broke, go and touch Jesus. He doesn't refuse either of them. Number two, there is something in this story about responsibility for the poor. The rebuke really to Jairus is, you've been caring about your daughter, who Who's taking responsibility for this woman? She's got no one to call her daughter, <coughs> and Jesus came to show us what God is like, and God takes responsibility for those on the outside, on the margins. You know Jesus has this opportunity to influence the se- to influence government, yeah he's like powerful guy, friends in high places, but instead of that. He thinks, I've come to change the world, but I'm going to do it by healing people and saving people who are on the margins, people you'd never expect. That's how Jesus changes the world. He's born in Bethlehem, which is this nothingy little village. You know, we hear a lot about people saying, oh, you know, churches should be kind of, we should be inviting the MPs and the rich people, and we should be in the kind of big capital cities, and we should change the world by being in the center. That's not actually what Jesus was doing. Thirdly, in this story, we learn about pride and humility. So it's very clear all the way through the Bible, over and over again. When the kingdom comes, the proud will be humbled, and the humble will be lifted up. That's the kingdom of God. It's incredible, isn't it? And so we see that's what happens with Jairus. He, he gets rebuked. He gets torn down a peg. And all of us in our hearts, we have a little bit of Jairus. We have a little bit of wanting to be first, wanting to be noticed, wanting everyone to realize how spiritual we are, how important we are. And Jesus is having none of it. He still heals his daughter, but he does tear him down a few pegs. And finally, Jairus' story... It's actually our story. It's the story of humanity. It's the story of mankind. You see, Adam's house, human's house, is a house of death. It's full of grief and people crying and hopelessness that's, that's, and pride. That's Jairus' household. That's, that's the human story. And God comes to us in Jesus. And we, humans, we laughed at him. We rejected him. We wanted to kill him. We nailed him to the cross. That's our story, yeah? God came to raise us from the dead, and we nailed him to a cross and killed him. That's the gospel. It's shameful. We, sh- we carry that shame, don't we? It's our story. And look at the grace of God in Jesus. He comes to the house of death. He raises the little girl from the dead. And we know it's at the cost of his own life. It's an extraordinary picture of the grace of God in the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? And all of us who are in Christ one day, like this little girl, who are sleeping in death, will one day hear the voice of Jesus say to us in our own heart language, It won't be Talitha Kumi, because none of us are Aramaic speakers. But it will be, hey, little one, wake up. It's time to wake up now. And when we're sleeping and in a graveyard somewhere, on that day when Jesus comes to wake up his beloved ones, that's what we'll hear. Hey, little one, wake up. It's morning now. Nighttime's finished. It's time to wake up. And he'll take us by the hand and we'll get up like this little girl did. And we'll live with him forever in his kingdom. Turks will hear it in Turkish. And Iranians will hear it in Farsi. And maybe you guys will hear it in a Peak District accent. (laughs) But we'll hear it in our hearts. Okay? So what these two stories give us is this morally compelling contrast. You know, the conclusion you're supposed to draw is, I don't want to be like Jairus. I want to come to Jesus the way the woman came to Jesus. And if I am in Jairus' position, I want to repent of my pride, of my arrogance, of my mocking, of my cynicism, of my anger, of my prejudice. And I want to learn how to take responsibility for those who are like this woman, who have no one to take responsibility for them. Amen? Is that what you want? When I read this, when I'm praying this morning about this passage, I think, God, that's what I want. All the Jairus stuff in me to die. Be someone who notices, who cares, who never stigmatizes, who never excludes or pushes away. That's what Jesus is like. Is that okay? Let's stand together and we'll just take a moment to <coughs> pray. Let's Each one of us just come before the Lord. There'll be something in that story that has grabbed you, pierced you, made you angry. Pushed your buttons. Let's just ask the Holy Spirit of Jesus to come. Come Holy Spirit. Make us like Jesus, not like Jairus. We repent. Lift our eyes, Lord, not just taking responsibility for our own family, our own stuff. Give us energy and capacity to look beyond, to notice people like this woman. Please, God, I pray this week. You'd give us opportunities to notice someone we've never noticed before. Open our eyes in the crowd. Lord, we repent of all the stuff like Jairus. We repent of pride, of putting ourselves first, of pushing ourselves forward, of position, of mocking, of cynicism. Help our unbelief, God. Come, Holy Spirit, help us to make good choices as we follow you in this discipleship journey. Thank you that everyone who comes to you receives a touch from you, that there's an immediate thing that happens. Let that happen even today in your presence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. have a little time so if you say actually I'd love someone to pray for me maybe you want to respond to one of those four words of knowledge I brought at the beginning of the meeting you think yeah that's me or maybe you think man I just actually I want someone to pray with me about one of these issues maybe you're like this woman and you you want to touch Jesus today we've got a prayer team here brothers and sisters that will stand with you please just Come to the front now and people would like to pray with you and love you. So there's just an opportunity to come now and respond to some of those. For the rest of us, what? Should we sing a song? Yeah, that would be great. Lift our eyes to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So it's time to sing now, not preach, yeah. (laughs) You might want that back. There you go.